Hey there, welcome back in to Talking Catholic with David O'Gray. I am David O'Gray and I'm Talking Catholic with Randy Shedd, who is a Catholic convert um, and someone who is deeply in love with the traditional Latin Mass. You're going to have to hear this conversion story. It's awesome. And so, and we'll begin right after this eight second introduction to Talking Catholic in eight seconds. As, always, as I always tell you guys, it's just enough time for you to click like subscribe and share if you're listening on itunes or on the podcast version make sure you rate uh, leave a comment and um oh also if you're on youtube make sure you click that bell so you can be notified for new shows all right so i will see you on the other side hey randy shed welcome back welcome into talking catholic how's it going it's going going really well it's yeah. going really well yeah excited happy, to be here yeah i'm happy to have you here we've been um we've been knowing each other online for a number of years and so i've always been familiar with with your story we've dialogued a little bit so i thought now is a great opportunity to, to have you on the show and uh, we could um introduce you to to um some of the people who you've you know, you dialogue with on, on my Facebook page and um, yeah. uh, and uh, introduce you to, you know, my audience and everything. So I know they're going to like you and I know this um, your conversion story they're really going to get something out of. So, yeah, welcome in, man. Amen. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Hey, where are you, where are you located at? I know so, we're in the time zone. So right now I am at um, Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. I'm going to school here. I'm, I'm not in jail here. Uh yeah, so I'm I'm taking a course. Uh, I'm in the military. I'm sure that'll come out in my conversion story. I'm I'm in the military, but I'm here for just uh, really a couple more months, and then I will okay. be then I will be moving on. Yeah, yeah. So the cat's out the bag. So you're a convert. So where were you at before you became a Catholic? What, what what's your what's your faith background? So my my faith background. Um, could easily be, easily be described as Protestant, non-denominational. Really, uh, is is my background. I grew up. Um, I grew up in a small town, well, a medium-sized town in Missouri, about an hour away from St. Louis. Okay. Um, and I went to a a wonderful, beautiful uh, church down there. Um, First Christian Church. Uh, I think it's now called Green Tree Christian Church um, right. because they moved locations. But yeah, so really it was non-denominational, Bible-believing, right? That would that would be a term to that they would use to describe themselves. Bible Bible-believing Christians. So yeah. that's that's my background. Yeah. So you're you're. Your parents, that was just the, the church you grew up in, that was their denomination? Yes. So both my both my parents are both my parents are Christians. Um, my dad was a I believe they called them uh, elders there oh. uh, in in the church. My mom, she she worked with Sunday school, she worked with some of the youth ministries. Um, for a time I even Played, I think it was the the bongos and the in the praise and worship band. I was deeply involved with the youth ministry. Um, went to 
different, what, what would you call it, different Christian summer camps and all like that. So, uh, yeah, that that would be that would be my background. Yeah, I mean, who were you as as a as a kid growing up in the faith? Did you would you say that as Prons would say? Did you? I mean, did you have a were you saved? Did you have a moment of um, when you had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ? Yeah. So for a lot of for a lot of Protestant <clears throat> denominations, as as we know, there is that that moment where you accept Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And in doing so, one of the follow-on actions um, is that you are that is that you are baptized. Okay. So unlike um, Catholicism and some I don't necessarily want to use the term, but you know, high church Protestant um, denominations where they baptize the child as a baby um my faith background was that this is a personal decision that you will make and then you will and and then you get baptized um i did that at around the age of seven so at the age of seven is when i was baptized i was baptized in dormstadt germany so yeah so my dad was uh both my parents were civilians who worked for the military. So for the first few years of my life, I um, I lived in Italy for about two and a half years, and then Germany for three and a half years. And during that time when I lived in Germany, that's when I accepted Christ. So okay, okay, yes, yeah, that's that's very interesting. Siblings? Do you have like a lot of siblings, or is, is so? What's... I have I have one sister. I have one okay. one sister. Yep. All right. Yeah. Awesome. So, wow. So you're over in Germany, you're, you're getting baptized, and it was, you're baptized in the triune in formula? Yeah, Trini- Trinitarian formula, and, you know, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Um, valid baptism, right? So, yeah. uh, definitely, they, like I said, I was I was raised non-denominational. Uh, they, they definitely believed in the Trinity. Um, okay. So all those things, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so you move along. You're, you're, you're at some point in time. I guess you guys come back to the United States. You're a teenager, and you're is is that how it works? Okay, yeah. I so, mean, who- so in the fourth grade, in the fourth grade, we moved back to we we moved back to the United States. We moved back to the town where essentially I call I call home or okay. where I grew up. And I spent the next between fourth grade and when I graduated. Um, that's that's where I was raised. My, I have extended family actually that lives in lives in St. Louis and okay. that lives in Kansas City. So those were two of the places that I would you know frequent on holidays. Um, the best barbecue in the world was at my was at my great uncle's house there in St. Louis. I still remember yeah. those. Still remember those good times and that good food. Uh, but yeah. yeah, that was awesome. So, who are you as a teenager? Though? Are you are so, you on fire for the faith, or so, where were you at there? So, as a teenager, um, as a teenager, was I on fire for the faith? I, I would honestly, I would honestly say that at times it it ebbed and flowed. Um, it was very, as opposed to being a very uh, disciplined approach. It it was very um, uh, 
emotive, shall we say. Okay. So there were times where I was very deeply involved um, with my faith, with my church. And there were other times where it, I was very, very passive about it. Um, I actually, I had a couple buddies who, um, in high school when I was, in high school when I was, I wouldn't say I was, I was going down a very dark path, shall we say, but I just wasn't, I wasn't living my faith. They, they reached out to me and they said, hey, you, you know, it'd be good if you came back to, if you came back to youth group, if you came back to coming to the church and things like that. And I really appreciate um, what they did for me. That was probably around my junior year, the end of my junior okay. year of, uh, of a high school. Um, I actually, you know, one of, one of these individuals was like, Hey, you need to, I, you need to come back out to the football team and start doing that. So for, I played football my freshman year. I actually didn't play my sophomore or my junior year. And then my senior year, my, my good buddy, uh, was like, Hey, you know, he was one of the ones who told me to, to start really coming back to church. He was like, Hey, and, and you know what? You should come, you should come play football. And that was honestly, um, a, I would consider that one of the turning points in my mm-hmm. in my life was coming back and, and just meeting a great not really meeting but but starting to hang out with an with, yeah. a, with a great group of individuals yeah. who were were disciplined. I mean, if you're in if you're in mid Missouri doing two a days for football, the humidity there, I, I get it. Like every state will claim that they have the toughest football program <laughs> in the world. That humidity in Missouri is no joke. I think you know that. That humidity yeah. in in July, August time frame, that's no joke. And that really gave me that last shot of discipline that I needed prior to um, moving on to college. Yeah. So um, I guess just kind of continuing with the, with the story, I applied and was accepted to the United States Military Academy at uh, West Point, what there in West Point, New York. I applied to, when I was in high school, I made decent grades, right? I, I made decent grades. I was involved with, um, I wasn't involved with football. I was involved with other things like student, student government for a time here, you know, floating in, floating out, kind yeah. of somewhat involved with the, with the newspaper. I, I was, I was spread thin, but not too deep in a lot of different things. Um, and I made decent grades. One of the things that I, at the end of high school, I said, I'm, I'm kind of tired of school. Yeah. I, I, I looked at my mom and said, Hey, I think I'm going to think I'm going to join the military. Mm-hmm. And my, my mother, um, she said, you, you can do that, but first you, you should at least apply apply to a college and I think that the United States Military Academy West Point would be oh. a good option for you because you do get some military right you, you get a lot of military and you get a lot a, a good education the academics there are um, you know they're they're quite quite strict it was it was I don't want to say it was very difficult but it's a technically it's an engineering school that's oh, where what it was founded around right. and I excel more in the um with like english okay. and history well, and social liberal studies. arts and things like that definitely okay. yeah. so I, yeah. I there were a couple classes where i was i was definitely struggling there at west point but i made it through 
uh, I, I made it through. Yeah. So when did, when did you start encountering, you know, the St. Louis area uh, yep. is at least very culturally Catholic. Um, Definitely. And, and so when, when did you, did you know much about Catholics coming up? So I, I didn't. Um, there was a, there was a pretty, how can I put this? Uh, so I had friends that were Catholic. Um, they, they were really, they were really good friends. They, um, some, some of the best people that I ever met now that I sit and reflect upon it, um, were, were Catholic. They went to the Catholic parish there in my hometown. They, um, I never, I never went to mass, uh, there in, um, in my hometown. I, I had my, I had my own church that I went to and, and, um, it's, uh, it's kind of. Kind of funny, kind of kind of sad in a way, because you know how how children are, and they will they will talk about things at, at the lunch table, just yeah. in you know in passing. If eventually, the the faith and what you believe comes up, even if it's just little snippets. Right. And um, you know, my idea of Catholicism was they Catholics worship Mary. They, you know, they worship the Pope. They think the Pope is the next, you know, they think the Pope can save you. That's one of the things that you, that, that Protestants often say about Catholics um, who don't know exactly what yeah. we believe. They, they say all these things that, you know, and they also throw out things like no church can save you. And it's, yeah. it's sad when when i really reflect back um just some of the things that i said right mm -hmm. whether it was just joking you know uh, jokes jokes sometimes they can be funny sometimes you're you're trying to make a point and yeah. you could be um unknowingly a, truly attacking something that someone fundamentally um, believe something that's very precious or dear to them and but kids a lot of kids don't care about that they're just going to say things because they want to get laughs and all this other stuff and i know that there were times where i probably where i probably said some things to to my catholic friends and if you're you happen to listen to this i apologize because <laughs> i'm here so yeah but that, that is that is something how we just uncritically accept what we've heard yeah. no matter what it is i mean i mean you and i have experience of just uh uncritically accepting what we've heard about catholicism but i think we do that a lot of times with a lot of things yeah and um why why do you think that is just philosophically why why, why are we so intellectually lazy sometimes why are we intellectually lazy <laughs> because wow i, I think it's it's easier, yeah. right? It, it's definitely easier. It's more. It's more comfortable. It's comfortable. Yeah. It, it, your you your beliefs are tied a lot to your emotions and your memories and things that are dear to you. They're a lot of times they're tied to family and and really uh, tied to your identity in a way. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I know this isn't. You know, this is kind of my conversion story, but how many times do we hear about Protestant pastors when they truly start 
looking into the Catholic faith, and then that moment they realize, I'm going, I'm coming home. Like I'm going to, I'm coming home, and it causes um, a bit of a crisis within right. within themselves, within yeah. their family. Yeah. Uh, a lot of times they're, a lot of times they're married, and their wives are looking at them like, this is our source of income. We have kids. If yeah. if we convert. How are we going to put food on the table, right? It becomes one of those um, in the hierarchy of needs. You got to provide the food. We got to yeah. put food on the table. Yeah, and that's if, true. And if you come through with this conversion, uh, we may not be able to do that in the way that we're used to. Right. So I, I think that's that is why sometimes we are intellectually lazy, but also. You could consider a lot of these things blind spots to people. Mm-hmm. They don't. They don't know that. They don't know that maybe I should look critically at what I profess in this regard. Yeah. So or what I'm making. What I'm making fun of. Yeah. Ex- exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's something. So walking. Continue walking us through your. You're in your twenties now. Um, <laughs> you're at a good college. Um, I guess somewhere along the way, you find a beautiful wife and you find yeah. your faith. So, <laughs> so yeah, continue, right. You know, walk us, walk us through. So in so in college, so in college, um, there at I'm gonna I'm gonna call it USMA. I'm gonna call West Point USMA. Uh, oh. It's they're used interchangeably. So if I just say USMA, that's what I'm talking about. Okay. So at at West Point, it, um. I looked for a I looked for a church home. Now they they offer they offer many different uh, denominations. They offer um, they offer many different forms of worship within certain denominations. They had the traditional Protestant service, which is held at the at a beautiful cadet chapel that overlooks. Um, overlooks the entire campus. They have the gospel service, um, which meets at a, a different chapel on post. They had the Catholic chapel, which I don't think I ever graced with my presence. If I did, it was once or twice. Um, and I tried, I would say that I, I looked into all of, I, I, outside of Catholicism, at least within Protestant denominations, I looked into all of them and, and tried to find one that fit. Uh, and I couldn't, one didn't really, for lack of a better term, one didn't really appeal to me, or at least to the point where it made me continue actively practicing my faith yeah. uh, that I that I had been raised with. Because spend a little bit of time, spend a little bit of time there for just just a moment, because yep. you grew up in a non-denominational church. So yep. when you get to West Point, you're not automatically, oh, I have to go find a Baptist or I have to find a Methodist. You were just like. I mean, what was your what was your criteria? What were you what were you looking for? So, of of course, you're looking for you're looking for music. You're looking for preaching. You're looking for where your friends go. Okay. Um, your where I where I feel comfortable is a some of the big criterion. Are they are they preaching? the same things that I heard what I considered to be true uh, prior to arriving at USMA. And each one of those locations had at least snippets of those. 
right? They maybe they had great music, but not a lot of my friends went there. Um, maybe this maybe the service was being held at a time that required me to wake up early on Sunday. <laughs> right. And 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 I know that sounds that sounds um, I don't know that may sound bad, but when you are a college aged student. And the one day that you can really sleep in, because there's a lot of military training that happens on Saturdays, or football games, or things that we must be must attend. The one day that you can sleep in is Sunday. So if you're holding a church service real <laughs> early on a Sunday, I'm going to weigh my options. But one of the things that I think separates um, separates Catholicism. Our understanding of what church is, what the what worship is, and what is needed, mm-hmm. as opposed to Protestants, is if I have if I have my Bible, <clears throat> if I have my Bible, I can. That's all the worship that I that I ever need. I can yeah. I can read read a passage, meditate on it, come up with what I think about said passage, mm-hmm. and move on with my day. And I spent time in the word, so that's enough. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's the mindset that that um right. that I had. Yeah. And I having become Catholic, I I understand that there's there's a lot more to this. <laughs> yeah, so, it's amazing sometimes to be it's amazing. I know you, you may have encountered this when you're around some Protestants, and, and typically I think it would be black American Protestants oftentimes, you could be anywhere and you can have church. I mean, if someone just breaks out in song or someone says something that sounds like something you may hear in church, or you could be at a concert, um, someone would just shout out and say, oh, we have in church, you know? <laughs> oh, definitely. Definitely. And I think there's some, I, I think not to, right, like not to downplay that, a, a lot of that is linked to what we experienced here in America. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Our our ancestors our ancestors weren't always given a building. No. Our ancestors weren't always weren't always given the Bible. They weren't always given the right, full text right. of the Bible. Right, right. A lot of times they were they were in fields singing yeah. songs. Yeah. Yeah. And there is some there is some some beauty in that, right? That yeah. uh, that amidst that struggle, that hey, we're not going to be given a lot, All right? We're going to make right. do with what we have. Yeah, right? it's definitely yeah, it's definitely a rich cultural experience. That now that you bring that up, that 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 seems to be have transplanted it and been maintained part of the tradition in a way. Even though it's mm-hmm. funny in a sense, although somebody may say it's it, it, it funny. Um, yeah. uh, Kobe Bryant could be on a court and just giving people lessons, you know, when he was out there yeah. and somebody may, oh, he's, you know, he's holding church service out there. Yeah, you know, he's taking on the church. It's funny, right? It's funny in a sense. But yeah, it's also, it could be a, a, a deep tradition that, that continues on. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think that, I think that's an important thing to, thing to consider, right? When, uh, when, when we talk about what are we, what do we look for, um, in in a in a church service or a church home, so that that becomes like a very uh, it becomes a very serious question that that people mm-hmm. consider. So, 
so kind of back to, I guess, kind of back to my story. Um, so after, at West Point, I, like I said, I didn't really find a, find a church home. I would still consider myself a Christian. Um, there were occasions where I made it up to the cadet chapel, uh, for, for the service up there, but nothing that was really permanent that stuck throughout. Now, I graduated, I, I branched infantry, and one of my first stops was down at Fort Benning, Georgia. And before I started training as an infantry officer, for a time they had an inter, intermediary course, um, whereas they brought in different branches from, from the army at large. And they train them. They train them all together. Basically, establish a baseline between USMA, ROTC, um, OCS, different commissioning sources. Okay. And that is where I met my wife, um, my, my beautiful wife. So I met her there. And while I was there, um, she didn't give me the time of day. <laughs> so, uh, yes. Yeah, so I was you. Know, I was a West Point graduate. I was I branched infantry. This training that we're doing right now was nothing compared to what I had done and what I was going to do when I uh, began really training to be an infantryman. And that was kind of what floated through my head. And as you can tell, I was probably a little bit arrogant. My <laughs> my my beautiful wife, who wasn't my wasn't my wife at the time, she picked up on that uh -huh. and. She she did not give me the time of day for the entire time that I was in the course, right? So uh, we we graduated from that. She went to her follow-on training, and I went to my follow-on training. And uh, probably about six to eight months later, I, I had graduated. She had graduated. She was at her first duty station. I was at mine. I randomly... Um, I randomly sent her a text message, and okay. um, we struck up a conversation. Yeah. One thing, one thing led to another. She probably, she probably just got tired of me and was like, "The only way I can stop him <laughs> from texting me is if I is if I marry this guy." Uh, and going on, going on eleven years now, uh, we we have been married. But here's the here's the the kicker when it, when it comes down to it. She was raised Catholic. Oh. Yes. Oh. So she oh. was raised Catholic. And that caused how can I how can I put this? I don't think it caused that big of a that much turmoil between us. Okay. But when it came to outside of my wife and I, our ex our extended families, mm -hmm. our parents, that was that was a bit of a big deal. That's interesting. Um, it was I remember explicitly having conversations about how we would raise the kids. Are we going to the, right. the eventual kids that come? Are they going to be raised Catholic? Are they going right. to get baptized when they're when they're babies? Things like that. And these are all different questions that were that our parents were asking us. We just wanted to be married at the time, right? <laughs> I, these yeah. these weren't, and maybe those were questions that we should have been ans uh, asking ourselves, but. Yeah. As oftentimes young love will do, uh, love love at times can can be blind. Young love and and we got married. So, just a snapshot. Uh, this is 
our first year of marriage, our first year of marriage, remember we were we were living apart. We got uh-huh. married. Uh, we got married in June. I went on my first deployment in and around, I believe it was November of that same year. Okay. Two days prior to my deployment, my wife uh, tells me that she's pregnant with our first oh. child. So on top of me getting ready to deploy for the first time, I found out that I am going to be a father in approximately wow. nine to ten months. So, yeah. yeah, there was a little bit of pressure. There's a lot going on. Uh, it was there was a lot at that time. But we handled it. My wife, my wife is uh, anyone who's ever met her. She is definitely she. She is a saint. I, I'll, I'll tell you that right now. She's a strong. She's she's a strong woman um, and a, a phenomenal phenomenal partner that that yeah. Christ put in my life. And so we had our first child. I we had our first child. Then we had another one, oh. and then. The, the the kicker the kicker is the is the third child. We often say that our third child uh, is one of the main reasons why I am Catholic. So we weren't really going we weren't really going to church okay. for those first two children, right? We weren't really going to church. Occasionally we would pop into we would we would pop into the service that was located there on the on the military bases. We'd go there, or we'd go to one in the neighboring town, trying to find something that stuck, um, that that would fit our family, that yeah. a, kind of spoke to her Catholic background as well as it wasn't Catholic because I'm not Catholic uh, and I can't. Still not there yet. Okay. I'm still not there yet. Still yeah. not there yet. Did, did, did the kid? Did the first two kids get baptized? So yes. They did. Okay. The first two children, the first two children were baptized, and you know, probably in the back of in the back of my mind, I was like, "Yeah, they can get baptized." But one of the things that a lot of a lot of Protestants do is they get rebaptized, right? If let's say they right. let's say they go they get baptized as a child, they go through some difficult life experience, mm-hmm. and then they get rebaptized. Because in their understanding, getting rebaptized again, I guess that's the real one. The, the second one was the real one, or, or um, right. It can keep going too. It can you keep know, going and multiple, it, multiple until, times until one until one of them sticks. Yeah, yeah and and the thing, I mean, I think that's there's unbeknownst to them, a lot of times they're searching for that sacrament of confession of reconciliation. Yeah. That's really what their what their heart is searching for. Yeah, they just good. don't know it yet. Uh, that's good. So, the third child comes along. The third child comes along. This is kind of moving towards my conversion story. The third child comes along. My mother in law. There's there's one thing. There, there's a couple things about my mother in law. She's 100% Scottish. I like to say this. She's 100% <laughs> Scottish, and she is 100% Catholic. She now she is Catholic, right? Yeah. And remember those verbal bouts that I used to have with Catholics that I would always talk about. I used to have those with my mother-in-law, which I don't know. I don't know why I did that. It probably wasn't the smartest thing to do, but we would have these these verbal jousts about Catholicism and Protestantism. I would call her a Mary worshiper, and you know she would 
she actually never really said anything that bad to me. She, I think she was praying the rosary. Um, and she was actually bringing in the big guns, right? So, like, I was just talking. I was just talking when she was putting in the real work, that silent work in the background where I would just be running my mouth and she was just praying for me, which is a beautiful thing, um, something that I've, I need to do a better job of. Well, third child is born. My mother-in-law is there to, to help um, my, my wife with our third child and... My wife decides, hey, we're not going to we're not going to any church regularly. You don't have to come, but I'm taking my kids to church and I'm gonna take them to the church that I was raised with because we're not going anywhere. So my wife bundled up and granted this is New York. We're back up in New York now. Oh. This is New York in the winter, snow on the ground. My wife, who just had a child, is bundling up all three children, taking them to the Catholic church there on post. And I remember saying that I'm not going, I'm going to stay home. Uh-huh. So my my wife heads out the door with all three, all three children. And I recall looking at my dog and my dog kind of looked at me and I know dogs can't speak, but she gave me that look like, you know, you know, you done messed up now, right? Seeing my wife who just gave birth, um, carrying all three kids in a car, rolling down the hill in the snow to church. So the next Sunday, I told told my wife that um, I'm gonna go to I'm gonna go to church with you. We're gonna sit in the back. So in case I need a break for it, I can do that quite easily. And and um, it was it it was a it was a beautiful it was a beautiful mass. And I remember the one thing that stuck out for me to me for that from that mass was the the priest started talking about apostolic succession really so this this term is completely foreign it's completely foreign to me like what do the uh, the apostles have to do with the faith right yeah. what do the apostles have to do with the faith but then when you hear that Jesus Christ taught his apostles formed his apostles, and they became the first bishops in the church. And they were given the deposit of faith. And they took that deposit of faith, and they turned around, and they taught people. Uh And the Holy Spirit guided and guarded those people who then took those teachings from Christ, turned around and handed it on, turned around and handed it on, on down the line. Right. On down the line to the present day, and when I heard that, it made too much sense. It oh. made too much sense. Uh. Think about it. Think think about it. It's not as if it's not as if Jesus Christ took the King James Version Bible, chucked it at the masses, right? Chucked it at a bunch of people, said, figure it out, I'll be back. Yeah. That's not that that's not what he did. That's yeah. absolutely not what he did. What he did was he entrusted it to people. Mm-hmm. And these people <clears throat> were the apostles, and these apostles were the first bishops. Yeah. And then there was Saint Peter, 
upon this rock, I will build my church. Mm-hmm. And there's always this argument. There's always this argument, this, this sticking point. Well, you have, you have the Pope. You have the Pope. That was the constant argument that Protestants make. It's like, you worship the Pope. We don't worship the Pope. <laughs> the, the first, what did the first Pope do? The, the, the first Pope d- denied Christ, right? right. The, denied yeah. Christ. Uh, right. He often was very emotional, shall yeah. we say. You could tell he was, he was a little bit angry. Yeah. He, was a fish, he was a fisherman. Yeah. Anybody ever spend any time with fishermen? Like, that's the type of person. <laughs> that was the first Pope that, that, Christ, that Christ chose. Yeah. That was the first Pope. Mm-hmm. And now, all the way through history to the present day, that's that's who's sitting there in the Vatican, right? Yeah, one successor after another. But that's a huge. But that that would be a huge leap. Though. I mean, I know you're hearing this at the mass. You're hearing this yep. about apostolic succession. Mm-hmm. But how do you? How do you? Are you really convinced at that point in time that okay, there's a logical argument here about passing down a faith from one generation to the next but the catholic church were you ready at that point in time i don't think i definitely wasn't ready okay i definitely wasn't ready and that's the thing that that people there a that's that's all grace right that's all grace working so a, a lot of things in and that about my conversion story because it ha- did happen quite quickly as soon as i heard that as soon as i heard that when i got home I remember I ran up to my computer. I ran up to my computer and I just started actually looking at what does the Catholic Church teach? Yeah. This apostolic succession, what does that mean? What do they why why was I not allowed to receive holy communion? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know? Why why was I not allowed to receive Holy Communion? What's so different about theirs? I mean, I know they they distributed it a little differently than I was used to, you know, the plastic cups and the right, right. and the, and the wafer all, all in one tight little package. Yeah. Um why why is it so different and why do they care so much? And what and what, and what year is this when all this is going on? This happened in January of twenty sixteen. Okay, okay. And I eventually came into the church Easter vigil of 2016. Wow. Because here's the thing. Fast. It was fast. Here's the thing. I had that the same priest, the same priest that talked about apostolic succession. Uh-huh. Um, I would go to his office because he was the Usma, he was the Usma chaplain because we were back up at I was working at Usma now. He was the Usman chaplain. I would go to his office and I would just pepper him with questions. I would just sit okay. there and be like, Father, I read this online. I, I read this online. I read this in this book. I, I looked at John chapter six. I, you know, looked at Matthew 16, 18. I I looked into this. I saw that I I, I know what I believed about it. Yeah. Then I hear what the Catholic Church has always been teaching about it like this this my my belief system dated back to actually it was way after even 1517 a lot of these a lot of the beliefs about certain things only came up in the 18 1900s yeah. that a lot yeah. of 
a lot of Protestant denominations hold to be hold to be the truth. Um, they only popped up in the 18-1900s. You can't find them any earlier than that, right? Right. Um, but the Catholic Church had been teaching the same thing since since all this started. <laughs> and, like that amazes me, right? Yeah. Because so is that, is that is that pretty much your RCIA experience? Just this? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So so here's the. I think here's the beauty of it, because then the following year, I actually did end up, after I came into the church, I ended up going through RCIA the, the following year. Okay. As a bit of, I was a convert. I, I was, I was already in the Catholic church, but I did want to go through RCIA uh, and, and continue to learn because I was hungry, right? Like, hey, yeah. get, I need to know. The, the beautiful thing is, my method of conversion and sitting down and talking to a priest one-on-one -on -one, yeah. day after day, I'm sure he was, he was thinking in his head, my schedule is full up with this man who keeps coming to my office. Uh, no, but that was the way that converts used to come into the church. They would huh. sit down and have this individual catechesis with a priest. RCIA is, is, is a relatively right. new concept. It is. It is. But me, I knew, I knew the books of the Bible. I mean, I didn't know the extra ones, the extra ones, shall we say, right? <laughs> like, I knew, I knew the ones that I had grown up with. Um, I, I knew those things. I knew, I believed in the Trinity. Uh, you know, I believe that only Jesus Christ saves. I, I understood, understood those things. But it's the deeper elements, the 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 actual faith, right? Yeah. Because ugh, a lot of people think like faith is simply believing. Faith is simply believing. You, you got. I wanted to make sure that what I was believing uh -huh. was the truth. Uh -huh. Yeah. Because there can only be one. Kind of like right. that old Highlander show, right? There can only be one. <laughs> and I remember when I was growing up, I could drive down the street and I would pass a Methodist church, a Baptist church, a Anglican church, the Catholic church, yeah. the non-denominational church, this, 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 all down this street. And in my hometown, they were all located within about a three-block radius, all the churches, all in one area. And... In my mind, it's if we're all Christians, this was this was back in the day, right? In my mind, if we're all Christians, why aren't we all worshiping together? Right. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Same question I've always why, had. Why aren't we all worshiping together? Yeah. But then I realized that there were different. The the truth was deposited. It was guarded and handed down within mm -hmm. within the Catholic Church, and then there were spinoffs, right? Offshoots, all throughout history. And that's where you get these denominations. Yeah. And let me ask you about your your, your wife, Randy. Where's yep? Does, does she know you're going to talk to the priest? Yes, she knows. Oh, she knows because remember when I said I ran I ran home and got on the computer. Yeah. So I would be I would be in the study. I would be in the study and I would read something about let's say John chapter six. You know, talking about the talking about the Eucharist, and I would. I would be up in the study and I would yell down to my wife, like, hey, <laughs> hey, you ever, you ever heard of, of transubstantiation? You know, the, the body, blood, soul, and divinity. 
like, yes. Yes. Well, I'm, I'm trying to feed your child right now, but yes, I have heard of that. I've okay. That. Okay. <laughs> Just making sure you had heard of it. And then, you know, I would read about the beautiful sacrament of, of confession. Yeah. And like, honey, I got to I got to tell all the bad stuff to the that I've done to the priest. <laughs> yes, that's what confession is, you know. So she knew and uh is she is she is she excited or like what's what's her emotional state? So the thing about the thing the wonderful the beautiful beautiful thing about my wife is at she she gets she gets excited but she is um I don't want to say reserved. She knows how to control her emotions, right? Okay. She so she's seeing this and I know she's talking to my mother-in-law about this cuz Yeah, cuz I want my, you to get to that too. I want you to get to your mother-in-law. Oh man. Oh man. So when I remember telling my mother-in-law that I was that I was coming into the coming into the church and she just started crying tears of joy. She said for the past for the past 7 years this is what I've been praying for. 7 years. 7 years. 7 years. So when you hear about those so when you hear about those saints like Saint Monica, yeah. right? You know, Saint Augustine's mother who just prayed and prayed and prayed yeah. and prayed. They still exist. They are still out there and they they may never find the same notoriety, right? Of course. As, of course. as but there is there is a definite power. There is graces in those prayers. So oh. if for the people who are listening, if you have somebody that you care for, that you love, which we all do, mm -hmm. that either needs to come back to the Catholic faith or that you know is searching, or everyone is searching in a way, yeah. pray, pray, pray yeah. and make sacrifices for them, right? Yeah, yeah that's definitely true. It works. It yeah, works. Sure that to be, you go from a guy who was talking bad about the Catholic Church, who yeah. now, I love it. Yeah, I absolutely love it. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, I, was, so, I was just thinking about. I was just thinking about that today. My um, we're gonna be going home for Memorial Day, and I was mm -hmm. just thinking about that today. My my wife. I remember many years ago. I think before before we got married, or right after we got married. I remember her telling her parents. Her parents are Baptist, mm -hmm. and I remember her telling them, "Oh yeah, I'm not gonna become Catholic," you know. But she didn't know. I'm every even every 13th of the month, I fast for my wife. Every 13th mm -hmm. for the month. That's beautiful. I still do it today, even though that she's Catholic. I still fast for my wife, and I'm, I'm praying for her. now. I married who I married. I, you know, yes. you don't you don't marry hope somebody hoping they become Catholic or whatever. You marry who you marry. Mm -hmm. But I was praying for my wife. Her, you know, and um, yeah, so she eventually becomes uh, you know Catholic over here at um, Scott Air Force Base. And um, oh, nice. And he over here in um, Belleville. And so yeah, so I, I, I'm I'm a big believer in, in praying and sacrifice. So that's yes. a beautiful story that your mother-in-law was was praying for you. That, yeah. that is awesome. And she yeah. and she was there at she was there at the uh, Easter Easter vigil. Um, yeah. And I'm fairly sure that I'll be honest. That night was a bit of a blur. It was a beautiful, beautiful blur that that night because the Easter vigil that's the first time I I first time I experienced a Catholic. Easter vigil 
It's a it's beautiful with the lights off. It's dark. Oh. And, yeah, man, that oh, is amazing. It is amazing. It is we missed that amazing. this year, didn't we? Huh? We did. We yeah. did. Hey, let me let me ask you this. I don't okay. I don't know much about how you you grew up as far as you know mm -hmm. culturally, but when I came into the faith, I think you may have heard me say this. I had never heard of there being a. Uh, I didn't even know black people could be Catholics. I just didn't. And because yeah. every when I was coming up, the people, the, the my friends who did go to Catholic school, they weren't Catholic. Their parents just sent them there, or they yeah, wanted because they're good schools. There. Yeah. So, but I, I had never known a black Catholic. Had had you, or was that a struggle for you? Or tell me a little bit about that. I. Yeah, I didn't know a black Catholic. <laughs> I didn't know a black Catholic. <laughs> oh, that's. I mean, that's the truth. I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure I may have met one, yeah. um, but I didn't know. But even on military base, when you're going to mass, did you kind of like see any around or? No. <laughs> no. No, I did not. Um, so I think so. Occasionally, you would you would notice, say, a, a cadet and you know a, a black cadet that would be attending mass. Okay. Um, but remember. I started going in January, and I came into the church right. Easter, so I didn't really have a whole lot of time to right. survey the landscape and see, hey, who who exactly am I sitting next to yeah. here at Mass? I didn't have a lot of time to do that. I don't yeah. think, even if I even if I had, I don't think it would have. I don't. I don't think it would have bothered me or stopped me from becoming. Yeah. Catholic. So that was never attention for you. This no. Okay, okay. No, because in a lot of my experiences growing up, um, there were a lot of times, especially, say, at the, in, in high school, at, in college, I was the only, I was the only black person. Yeah, because you were from a smaller and, town. And you were I from, am. Yeah, okay. I am. Okay. So, okay. There, while the smaller town was a little more diverse because it had a, it had a, it has, excuse me, a university there, okay. um, and a, a pretty big engineering school is located in my hometown. So you did have a little bit of diversity there. I, I mean, one of my really good of of my really good friends. Um, I had, you know, as far as diversity goes, I had one that was from Eritrea. His father, his father taught at the university. Um, I had a good friend from Nigeria. Um, I had a good friend who was Cuban, and I had a really good friend, you know, who was Taiwanese. Okay. So I did have a diverse. I had a diverse group of friends. Mm -hmm. A lot of them. A lot of them were white. It yeah. did, never really bothered. It never. It never really bothered me. Um, yeah. And when I went to when I went to school, uh, college, you know, the campus was primarily primarily white as well okay, okay. so you, you kind of learn to navigate yeah. because don't get me wrong there were times growing up where you look around and you realize not everybody there's nobody in this room that looks like me right and yeah. and, and that's just a reality of it and even to this day even to this day in in my own profession um a, a lot of people the majority of the people are white. Yeah, it just 
it it is what it is what it is i guess i want to build on top of that because i know that you 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 fallen in love mm-hmm. with the the traditional latin mass tell me about that how did you how did you fall in love with tradition how did i fall in love with tradition so i had a one of the priests this was after i came into the church one of the priests at usma um he's actually an anglican convert uh so uh, was that the chair of St. Peter, I believe is what they, that, that umbrella that they fall under. Okay. He offered, just randomly, he offered a low mass there at uh, the parish. Typically, typically it was the Novus Ordo on Sundays and during the week, that's what, that's what we attended. Once one, I'm not sure if it was a Sunday or if it was maybe a Saturday, he offered a low mass. And I was you know, I'm hungry for the faith. It's like I want to know. I want to know what's going on. A different, a different kind of mass. Let's go. <laughs> so I, I went to a low mass, and I did not know what was going on. Right. I did. I had no idea what was going on. I was looking around. No one else knew what was going on. <laughs> right. And I left. I remember afterwards just thinking. What was that? I heard I heard a, a couple words at most. And but I knew something I knew something was happening. Yeah. It, it's it's strikingly it's strikingly different, right? Mm-hmm. It's almost there's and the typical masses that I was that I was going to, there's like this engagement, there's this dialogue between the priest and the people that's constantly happening yeah. in the traditional Latin Mass, the priest, whether we are there or not, he is offering that sacrifice. Yeah, yeah. And after after that low Mass, I went and I started, in my typical fashion, I went and I just started reading, and. One thing led to another, and the next thing you know, it, it was over the summer. I couldn't always I couldn't always make Sunday mass on the during the mornings because I was doing summer training, uh, so that would sometimes spill over into Sunday morning. So I would try and catch mass later on in the day. Well, I'm in I'm in New York, so I would often get on my phone, find hey who's offering a traditional Latin mass at some random obscure time. Right, because there's an app for that, right? Yeah, there's an app for that, but also just, <laughs> I mean, Google, Google was a good, uh, really, was a good okay. search engine. It's like a traditional Latin Mass, New York, Hudson okay. Valley, and then I would find one, and it would be thirty minutes away. And on Sundays when I couldn't make my home parish, I would travel there, and I would, I would go. Uh, my wife would take the kids to the normal Sunday. Um, you know our normal routine um, Sunday go to mass at the at the regular parish that we went to there on post beautiful beautiful parish um, and I would because I was out doing summer training I would sneak away and go to the traditional Latin mass at 3 p.m. right because a lot of parishes that offer the traditional Latin mass if they do both the traditional Latin mass is oftentimes in the afternoon at okay. a weird obscure time but it just so happened to fit with my schedule over the summer. And I just started to fall in love uh, with, I started to fall in love with the mass. 
right? Wow. wow. And so, yeah. Yeah, I, it is. It, it's but, but then that, that turns into like this whole thing that you're involved with now as yeah. far as promoting the traditional Latin mass. Talk a little bit mm -hmm. about that. So when I was coming into when I was coming into the the church, you read you read about what the mass is. The mass is Calvary, right? Yeah. The mass is about sacrifice. Yeah. You read the beautiful words of the of the saints whether it be saint thomas aquinas saint therese of Lisieux, you name them start naming the heavy hitters when it comes to the saints and you read what they say about the mass saint saint john henry newman what they say about the mass the form of mass that they are talking about yeah is the traditional latin mass yeah that's true in a in a world that is filled with um, in a world that is filled with just noise let's just be serious the world is filled with noise all the time when you walk into when you when you walk into a parish that even before it starts offering the traditional Latin mass there is a there is a silence there is a there is a reverence there is a there is a weight almost in the air. And one of the most beautiful things is when you see, when that bell rings and you see the priest process up to the altar and before he be, even begins offering this sacrifice, one of the most beautiful things are the prayers at the foot of the altar, right? Right? It's just an acknowledgement of the fact that we are, we, the priest included, we are not worthy of what is about to happen. It's not welcome to the 20th Sunday of ordinary time. The celebrant is going to be this. Everyone turned into the hymnals, the glory and praise. There's, there's none of that. It's, it's, we are, we are, we are about to take part in the most beautiful thing this side of heaven. Yeah, that, that's that's a beautiful point. You know, I never I never thought about that in the tradition and I, heck, I, I think this is I think maybe every liturgical rite outside of the Norfolk Ordo, mm -hmm. the mass begins. It's about business. <laughs> it's yeah. about worship, it's about yeah. sacrifice. It's just this this direct entry into yeah. this what's about to take place. Wow, I never thought about that. Thanks for that. It's it's, and the thing is, with I'm I'm human. I'm flawed. I've newsflash, right? Like anyone who's watching this who knows me is gonna be like, you definitely are, right? Mm -hmm. I I always want things to be focused on me. I always want to be engaged. I think that's a uh, part of human nature. I want things directed at me. If things aren't directed at me, then I'm not involved. And that's just a natural feeling for whatever reason. Yeah. In the traditional Latin mass, good, bad, good. It's good. The priest is focused on what he is about to do. 
if you're there, if you're not there, he's offering this sacrifice. Yeah. He is he is performing the most solemn act there is. Yeah. I, I mean there is there is something there is something beautiful to that and here's when it comes to if you take latin that seems to be a major hang up for people it is you know it is. you know it's, latin that's true. yeah i i don't i it's not like i speak latin fluently i don't speak latin fluently i having gone to the traditional latin i'm starting to i'm starting to know it more right, right? But let's say you joined a profession, and this is this may or may not be a, a good analogy. We'll, we'll try it. We'll see where it goes. <laughs> let's say you join a profession. Every profession has a has a language. Every profession has words that are used within that profession, and in order to be considered part of that profession. You have to learn to speak that language, right? That's true. You, you have to. And if you care enough about getting this job, if you care enough about getting this job, you put forth the effort to learn about, to learn the language. That's just a job. Now we're talking about the mass. The hmm. mass. You're going to put, once you... They a they have missiles and we can we can read now which a lot of people a lot of those early saints they didn't even they didn't even have missiles a lot of them yeah they didn't have a little red book did they had a little red book no they didn't have the red book <laughs> but they still went they yeah. still went all over the world uh, right. they were they were going to mass so put in put in the effort put in the effort. Some people say it's it's easier if it's in my own language. I would absolutely agree with you. The mass is easier if it's in your own language. I'm not going. I I I can't go for for easy. I don't need easy. We don't need easy. We don't. I don't need to feel comfortable all the time. In fact, if you realize what is taking place, there may. It's, it would almost be a little natural to be like, "Hey, I am not completely comfortable because I'm not watching, I'm I'm not watching the game on TV." Yeah. Yeah. Where else? Where else do we kneel? Especially in this day and age, we don't kneel for anything. We ain't kneeling for anything or anybody. Right. Right. But at mass. It's one of the primary actions that we are going to do is kneeling. Yeah. And yeah. a lot you hear if you ever take the time, and I would encourage anybody to take the time, read the prayers at the foot of the altar, turn to any any Sunday or any day of the week, and read the collects. Read the collects, you know, the, the prayer the prayer that's supposed to gather our intentions for that Sunday, for that Mass. Uh-huh. Read those. You can tell, you can absolutely tell that these prayers are ancient. These, these prayers didn't 
didn't pop up yesterday. These prayers are ancient. And a lot of, uh, many of the prayers are the same prayers that were on the tongues that were spoken by those saints and those priests that we want to celebrate and remember today, right? Like they were praying in the same way, in the same manner. And if it was good enough for those saints, maybe it's good enough for me. Yeah. And and that's I mean that's just kind of just scratching the surface of one of the reasons why I love the traditional Latin mass. Yeah. And I think I think it's amazing that I see the connection in your conversion story now that one of the things that the the, the grace that God used to to catch your ear was the word apostolic succession. And that's the, the traditions of the church and everything that we believe, the positive faith being handed down from one generation to the next. And I see the same thing with your love for the traditional Latin Mass. You're just drawn into this deep, this rich tradition of the faith, this consistent faith that's been there since the beginning. And I think that's amazing. And I think, and yes, it, it is, the Mass is more countercultural today than it has ever been. Especially then it has. Especially in the West. Um, and yes, I think in the world today, people do want things easy. We live in a microwave society. And and so, yeah, going to the traditional Latin Mass, I think that's that's a shock. It is a learning curve. And we don't want hard. You know, we mm. want easy. We want fast. We want quick. And so, yeah, the Mass, the mass itself is countercultural. But the traditional Latin Mass is, is about as countercultural as you get right now definitely yeah definitely and here's the thing that i would that i i have to i have to highlight right because on the especially on the internet online there's a lot so many discussions about you know traditional latin mass they think they're more pious they think they're more holy they think they're this that or the other they don't care about community they don't care about uh, i i have had I have personally, I have had just enough of the infighting within, yeah. with, with, especially <clears throat> online. I don't, one of the things, especially during this, um, this COVID-19 pandemic that we find ourselves is that one of the things I decided to do, because remember Lent was going on around the same time. Let's not forget that, that Lent, a good portion of Lent and Easter happened during this time is I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop arguing. I'm going to stop arguing. I've found a lot of beautiful quotes by saints that talked about, you know, you can have the truth, but if you don't deliver it with charity, it's not worth anything. Mm-hmm. Truth and charity have to go hand in hand. They have to go hand in hand. Yeah. If my love for the traditional Latin Mass is is rooted in this love of beauty, this love of truth, this love of goodness, because especially, especially in older times when the Catholic faith was taken out into the world, it it rode on the backs of the traditional Latin mass. They took them the traditional Latin mass, and there was a beauty. There is a there's an absolute beauty to that. So when I talk about it online. I may disagree with someone with what someone says about about the mass or about shoot even Catholicism in general between Catholics nowadays. Let's be serious. 
share the share the truth with love and remember what we talked about earlier pray and make sacrifices mm -hmm, mm -hmm. if you're spending more time and this is something that i had to come to grips with right i had to come to grips with if i'm spending more time arguing on the internet than i am about praying for the conversions of people i am in the wrong i am in the wrong yes yeah, you're saying just as much if not more so than them because we have this pearl of great price this richness of the catholic faith and we we should want others to have it now if you have this pearl of great price this beautiful thing you're not gonna beat them over the head with it so that they get it no you are going to lovingly share this with them if and that just that just goes for for so many things so many things right now is pray if you're arguing online more than you are praying for people you're in the wrong and i will be completely honest i was in the wrong so but you know yeah. i never and you you've you know you, you've been on you know the, the my um my facebook page but i never i never took you as someone who i like to call uh liturgical elitist and I never, I never got that from you. You always seem to just have a, a love of the traditional um, Latin mass and an uncompromising love at that. But I never got from you as one of those people who were like, you know, like Protestants. Some of them are King James only. Uh, oh, yeah. Bible only. I never got you as a traditional Latin rite only and people who go to Norris Order are going to hell. I never got that from you. I would, I would, first of all, First of all, I would never say that. I, I would, I would absolutely never say that, because, I mean, mercy. <laughs> right. <laughs> like here's, here's, here's my here's my take on it. Right. A lot of people, a lot of people, don't know. A lot of people don't know, what. That, how can I put this? The the traditional Latin mass, it was not easy. It was definitely not easy to make the shift from attending the Novus Ordo to, to attending the traditional Latin Mass, especially when I started bringing four children, my four children, right? Yeah, it wasn't easy. Too, aren't they? they're, yeah, they're, yeah, the oldest is nine, the youngest is one, and then I have one on the way. So um, he will be here in September. So, Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. I, I appreciate it. <laughs> They just keep coming. No, uh, <laughs> so it wasn't easy when we started going to the traditional Latin Mass because it is—it's radically different than what my children had experienced up until that time. It's—it's it's absolutely different. But I remember and I recall my my oldest son. Excuse me, my oldest son. He looked at me. And he said, this is beautiful. Wow. This is beautiful. He, he had never said that before. My wife, who was raised, right, going to the Novus Ordo, that was probably a harder conversion, if you will, or transition than it was for the children. For some of my children, they've 
probably now been to more masses in the traditional Latin mass than the than the Novus Ordo. For my wife, I remember it was it was a definite struggle for her. I, a we we have all these kids. B it's in a different language. C one of the beautiful things is they aren't they aren't slowing down for you. That's one of the beautiful things about the traditional Latin masses. It's it's not linear, right? Like uh-huh. the priest is going to continue to do what he does at the altar. The choir will be singing. Things will be happening, and it will continue. And it's very um, it's not linear. If there's if there's a silence in there, it's the priest will continue to do what he's doing on the altar. But that silence is is natural and it is um, sacred and and built built in. Mm. to to the mass itself yeah um and that was some of those things were very difficult for my wife she's like she she asked what are what is happening right now she would ask that she's like i remember she came out of the first time and she's like i don't know what was going on and it took it took work remember i go back i get online i start looking stuff up i start getting different books um it, the red book is good but there's other books out there that will teach you uh, about the traditional Latin Mass, and one of the beautiful things is there's so much symbolism in the traditional Latin Mass, from where the priest stands to the way that he turns to the number of times that he, you know, the number of times that he makes the sign of the cross, that when he kisses the altar, um, there's so much symbolism in what is in what is happening. It is that it's not just words. It's not just words coming at you. Yeah. That this is what's going on right now. No, there's there's none of that. It's I'm going to turn this way. You know, I'm going to do. I believe it's right. I'm not a lit- liturgist. I'm going to do six half turns and then one full turn. And there's a meaning behind the full turn that he makes. The complete 360. <laughs> That is what catechized so many saints. That is what catechized so many saints. Mm-hmm. That um, I'm going to incense the altar every single time. I'm going to incense the altar. I am going to kneel and receive communion on the tongue. And I know that there's a big argument going on right now uh, about it. Look, I, in the traditional Latin Mass, it's the only way it's done. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. it's there is no there is no let me decide for myself what right. I feel internally is going to be more reverent. Right? The focus isn't like I said before, the the focus isn't necessarily on me and what I'm going to consider as me showing reverence to this action. It is this is the reverence that is due to this action. Right. This is how you do it. Because one of the beautiful things that I always heard is the mass, whatever mass you attend, it it teaches you with more than what it says. In your postures, in your gestures, it is teaching you something. And that's just going through life, right? Like I'm in the military. I'm in the military. If a if a higher ranking officer enters the room, I immediately stand up, period. I immediately stand up and I call said room to attention. When when the 
I'm in at mass when the king of kings and lord of lords is there on the altar every knee shall bow mm-hmm. not because of my I think I'm more pious I think I'm more holy no because that's god that's god <laughs> Right. Who am I? Who am I? Who am I? I yeah. didn't have. To, I didn't have to be here. It is yeah. through His grace and His love that I am here. And when I go up to receive, when I go up to receive, I kneel and I receive on the tongue. Not because I think I'm more holier than anyone else. That's the way. That's the way it's been done. That is what developed over time and it developed for very specific very specific reasons and we can't just take those reasons and think that now in the really it was in the 20th century we know better yeah it's like if ever you have a question how we how you are supposed to how what mannerisms you're supposed to take at mass as as a member of of the laity there's two people the Blessed Virgin Mary and St. John. Mimic them. Do what they did. Mm-hmm. They, were, they, they prayed. They were quiet. They were reverent. Like everyone has, seen, everyone has seen the paintings of Christ on the altar with his mother, <laughs> the, the Blessed Virgin Mary, standing. The... Saint, you know, Saint John. Looking, they weren't moving around. They weren't being busy. They weren't like, now is my turn to do this within the context of this holy action that is going to save us from our sins. Right? They weren't up moving about. They were quiet. They were reverent. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm in my. In my sinfulness, I need examples. Those are the examples that we got to look at. That we have to we have to be willing to mimic and, and think to ourselves, I've got to stop. I've got to stop always wanting to do something and realize that this is all that's happening and this is all that matters. And I need to stop and I need to pay attention to what is going on. You know, I, I, that's that's probably saying a lot. I'm sorry. I was thinking you, you you've come a long way from calling Catholics Mary worshippers to actually looking at Mary at the cross at Calvary and looking at her and drawing from her how you ought to be. You you've come a long way, Randy. Oh man. Oh man. <laughs> and, and and I'm sure I'm sure somebody's going to hear this and Jesus Christ was fully God. And fully human, right? We what do we call that? The hypostatic union. Hypostatic. He is full. He is fully God. He is fully God and fully man. Yeah. What man is going to let you talk about his mother? <laughs> like what? Just I'm just I'm just saying. So when people say I'm not going to look at my own mother. I'm not going to look at my own mother and say she was just a vessel. <laughs> so you're going to turn around and look at the mother of God and say 
she was just a vessel <laughs> or she's not important. Yeah. 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 Imagine like, that. That don't work. Imagine it, that. Like if he if he wasn't because he is, Jesus Christ is perfect. If he wasn't perfect, uh, he'd yeah. be ready to throw hands, right? Yeah, like that's yeah. <laughs> that's that's the next yeah. step. You start yeah, insulting somebody. Yeah, them, them fighting words. That's true. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um yeah. But Randy Shea, thanks for coming on to uh, talking Catholic and sharing your story, man. I know so many people are gonna enjoy this and they're gonna see what I just saw. A man deeply in love with his faith and who has God is blessed with a Definitely. beautiful family and all you guys are just you're just really doing your thing. I'm so happy for you. Thank and, you. Uh, Thanks for having me. Yeah. And you know where I'm at here in um in uh, the greater St. Louis area. So next oh, yeah. time, you know, you're home, you know, we gotta get together. For sure. My my parents actually live in St. Louis now, so I'll be oh, up yeah. there. All right. I'll be up there. I'll, well, there's there's a um, an Institute of Christ the King. There's the oratories up there. The I believe oratory. We're, we were just at the oratory going to confession. So oh, yeah. beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. We'll have to, we'll have to go together on that Sunday. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. All right. All God right, bless. Thank you. Fool me, we can't get fooled again.